You're watching or listening to episode 98 of the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast. And we're all here once again, another week in the books. And we all ask the same question we ask every single week. Will Dave's bloodlust be satiated? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. We'll find out this week on the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast. I am less bloodthirsty, Carlos, and that's Dave. What I'd like to say is I think it will actually, Carlos, provided the regardless of what happens tonight as we record, the Habs are playing the Leafs in game six of their series, mm-hmm. which Toronto should win, really should have won in four games, to be honest with you, because uh, they really are that much better right now. But uh, it's going to game six. There's fans in the stands. But, uh, you know, if Montreal can never score a goal on the power play, which is, seems to be likely now that it's just that garbage, uh, I may have to satisfy my own bloodlust. That's important. At least, uh, you know, take matters into your own hands. That's critical. Um, one other thing I was going to say, actually, since that reminds me, um, based on last week, the discussion we had last week, Phil Mickelson did, in fact, win the PGA Championship, becoming the oldest major winner in the regular PGA ever. Yeah, which is a hugely impressive win, right? Very much so. Yes. And he played and he performed well down the stretch. It was one of those things where usually with those guys who are a little bit older, you wonder if they can hold. Um, and he hit a critical, you know, good shot there. I think it was on 18 or 17 to solidify because the course was playing tough. So you had to be very careful. Um, but he was able to hit a good shot to put himself in position and uh, very good uh, for the crowd there. The spectators were totally into it. Um, and it ended up being a very good show. So good for Phil Mickelson. Uh, he was always one of those guys who um, you just never knew what was going to happen with uh, with things. And he had a long career. He's had a long career, but he was always kind of the the bridesmaid a lot of times. He did eventually. I think this is his fifth or sixth major now. Um, and what's interesting about it is that a uh, long gap between majors. He's already he's already played in the senior PGA Tour, which is to say how old he is. Yeah. Um, now, the the winner, the biggest winner of all of this, in addition to Phil Mickelson himself, um, Tiger Woods who was very pleased to see that because like in his mind, it just kind of extended the window of time. He potentially has left to maybe take a run at catching Jack Nicholas. He goes, wait a minute. If Phil can win at almost 51, if I can get my, my body from disintegrating, because that's been his it's problem a big last if at this point, it is, but at least it gives him, it means that the clock hasn't completely stopped ticking. Jack, Nich- uh, Jack Nicholas at 46 winning the masters was kind of the, there were a couple of uh, people who won older, uh, not as old as Phil Mickelson, but the the window was closing rapidly, and it, because mm-hmm. both those guys are because Tiger is in in his forties, uh, Phil's already even his fifties, um, but him being able to win at fifty, almost fifty one, Tiger's got to be looking at the back of his mind, going like, at least there's a chance, maybe yeah. if I can get Tiger, myself. Tiger's Tiger's forty five. Yeah, so like that window was rapidly shutting comparatively to Jack Nicholas, who was being compared to. Is like, well. If you can still be competitive in your mid forties, maybe. I mean, it's possible. I think it's highly unlikely. But you know, as someone who you know, if you're looking for reasons to believe or reasons to watch golf or whatever, you know, this is a a good opportunity to do that, right? Because it's like, hey, you know, it's possible. Therefore, it's still worth watching. And I think, um, and I think for for longtime fans, I think it was uh, I think it was good to see to see a familiar name there after a long time. It was a good story. It was a good story. So I think it ended up being. So I did watch the back nine of that. It's been a while since I've watched much of a PGA event. So it was like I did watch the back nine though, checking it out, kind of keeping an eye. And then once it became clear that he actually had a good, real shot there right at the end, I was like, oh great, good. I wanted to check it out and uh, watch the conclusion of that. So it's very good for that era, definitely. Um, Otherwise, uh, how's this week been? It's been okay. I, I mean, it's not, it hasn't been bad. I'll say that for sure. 
Uh, I've watched in my my wrestling watching and whatnot has taken me to. Uh, I watched four different Royal Rumbles this week, uh, and and found out the little known tidbit. Uh, it kind of goes into something we talked about last week. I can't remember if we talked about it on air or not, but the very first Royal Rumble, in 1988, which was actually in Hamilton. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, Cops it, yeah, see yeah. It was a. It was a reg- It was kind of a special show, but it wasn't a pay per view. Correct. Yeah. Um, but it was won by Hacksaw, Hacksaw. Jim Duggan. That's right. Yep. Man, the man of no gimmick. That's probably, that's probably why he wanted it. It's like, uh, give it to the give it to the guy with the blue tights and the two by four. Pretty Good much. Enough. So anyway, I you know so that one was okay, and then I think it was ninety four, which was meh. And I think 2001, which was good. Okay, hold on, 94. Let, let me think about this for a second. Give me a second. Okay. Um, 92 was Flair. 93. 93 would have been like Sean. No. 93. Yeah, there's like a gap there where I like, I genuinely don't remember who won the Rumble those years. That was the uh, co-winner between Lex Luger and Bret Hart. Was that 93? No, it was 94. 94. 94. Oh, okay. So that's when they did like the simultaneously over the top rope kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. Was yeah. Dumb, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was okay. There, there was a, a let's put it this way. There was a dark time period there in the WWF. 92, like I said, 92 for me was probably the best rumble. Top Absolutely. to bottom combination Absolutely. of everything. But then you enter into this like nebulous dark realm where you've got, you know, Bret Hart's out doing his thing. Shawn Michaels is coming down the pipeline. Stone Cold Steve Austin will be there in a couple of years. Not yet. Um, and then the Attitude Era will kick in, and that'll be a completely yeah. different beast. Hogan, Hogan's gone. Yeah, exactly. But but you're relying on, you know, Bret Hart trying to carry the load. Um, great in ring, but not an exciting dude. Um, Correct. But, and then you've got, you know, but all-time great. good technical ability. Technically, he is as, about as good as it gets. Um, but you know, you're relying on the all time greats like Diesel and Men on a Mission. Yeah, not so Mo much. Mo and Mabel. It's it's interesting. I always find the one thing about watching the Royal Rumbles that I find particularly interesting is is looking for those people that, you know, they've either brought back from like way back or those people who you're like, Seriously, who is that? Like I literally, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't I don't remember that person, you know, like Thurman Sparky Plug. Oh yes, future Bob Holly, yes. You know, or like yeah, different names or or uh you know, some of them are, are okay that you Come on, about, man, like... he was a NASCAR driver, bro. <laughs> or you know, or Genny Chiro Tenru. Okay, or... the, the name is about Tenryu, it's been a long, t- it's been a long time since I've seen it. But you know what I mean? Like, okay, so it's like, you know, people like that that are kind of there for the whatever they're there for and then gone. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's always interesting. And then I watched the 2001 Royal Rumble. Oh, geez. Which, that was much which later. Which was good. Yeah. So there's like, I mean, it was a DVD. It was a three set DVD thing that I got out of the library, right? Oh, okay. So this is one of uh, Austin's wins. Yeah. Okay. That would have been around that time. Yeah. Um, which is, which was pretty good. And, and it was, you know, I think it was the one where it was him and, and The Rock, I believe, at the last two. In the okay. Ring. So wait, this is 2001, you said, right? Yeah. So this would have been leading to WrestleMania 17. Yeah. Okay. I think so because uh, because yeah, 2001. Yeah, because that was right at the yes, tail end. It was. Of the it was leading to that. That's correct. Yeah, because that led to the big uh, the big show at the Astrodome, <laughs> because that was when uh, Stone Cold became a bad guy and joined with the villainous Mr. McMahon. Yeah. 
It was a good show, though. That WrestleMania 17 show was excellent. And this was a pretty good rumble, too. Uh, The the thing that I liked about it the best was was when uh, Kane comes in at number six and then just destroys everybody. Like, immediately, everyone in the ring that was in the ring when he comes in, gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he he uh, you know he lasts basically right to the end, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Actually, no. I think he actually. I think he is the last person out. The Rock is out just before him. Yeah. And then and then right. So that was like that was pretty impressive. So I like that. And you know, again, I knew most of the people in that one. But again, they're still throwing in people like uh, and then people I've heard totally forgot about that I remember now, like mm-hmm. William Regal. And I was like. Who? And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, I remember him. He's a man, you know? Dave. Or Hardcore Holly, which I, you know, hadn't really, you know. You, you talked about him moments ago. Thurman I know, Sparkle but he had Mouth. a different name moments ago. You know? Things well, he was that, a NASCAR you know? driver, and then he had, and then he had, and maybe he bumped his head a couple of times, got really mad, and then became uh, hardcore. It's, it's quite possible. Yeah. It's quite possible. But then there's, you know, some like K-Quick, like, eh, you know. Come on, man. Don't you love our truth yeah, see, that's the thing, right? It's like, what? They just changed their name, and then you're like, oh, that's who I remember them, right? But uh, Do you know how old R-Truth is? No. Old? Yeah, do you know how old R-Truth is? No, I'm going to look it up right now, though, as we're, uh, as we're talking it, about this. Do it. You, 49. You, yeah. But the, look at him, though. Yeah. Like, it's it's stupid. He's got he's got abs on abs, even still now. Like, it's ridiculous. The, the dude doesn't age. He gave up aging years ago. It's kind of like you. Yeah, Minus, basically, but with abs. Well, I I gotta work on it. I don't know. I don't. So I got. Yeah. I, I'll have you know, I've got time. Like Tiger, our truth tells me I've got time. Apparently, uh, yeah. So that one, and then the good old trio of Scotty Two Hottie, Grandmaster Sexay, and Rikishi. You know. Yes. That that was a trio. Yes. That was that was fun. Rikishi was probably the only good thing about that trio, but. Well, it I think, be. um, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Scotty Duhati actually was a decent wrestler. Uh, Grandmaster Sexay, his problem was, well, first of all, that gimmick is, that name is stupid. Um, you know, it worked for the gimmick, obviously. But, you know, you'd think as Jerry Lawler's kid, he'd have figured out how to parlay that a little bit better. Because Jerry yeah. Lawler knew, Jerry Lawler is not an athletic specimen. But he was a great wrestler, and he understood how to do the art of wrestling. And it was always, with Brian Christopher, it was always like, you're not bad. You're not bad. But it's like, there's something missing. And I can't quite put my finger on it. Like, you, even if you're just an annoying bad guy, that, that should be like your, your birthright. You should be really good at this simply because you're dad. Yeah. So it's like, there was always something missing. It's just something wasn't quite there. So anyway, but that was that was a you know a fairly entertaining show. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it was like man, the amount of chair shots in these things. Oh yeah, in the Just early two thousands like, for sure. Um, and then the other one was the two thousand and seven Royal Rumble. Okay, well that's a very different era. That would be, um, I guess, by that point Cena would be fully two thousand seven. I feel like Cena would have been um, underway by then. Yeah, so that was the one that. Um, the Undertaker won. He came in last. Yeah, yeah. So he was the he was the last person in, and uh, and he won that, which was which was good. But uh, I'm just trying to double check. I can't remember Cena being in that one. I'm just trying to say here myself. Yeah, no, he was not in that Royal Rumble. Just he might have been in the pay per view. It could be. But it's Maybe also the one where they had like a bunch of ECW guys. 
Yes, that's right. You know, that was oh, here that we go. was sort of here we go. the primary match was the last man standing match for the WWE Championship between Cena yeah. and Maga. Yeah. Okay. So that so he was so he was in uh, he was in the title match. So that makes sense. Yeah. I got it. But I'm saying he that was the era when he obviously he was in the title match. So that was the era where Cena was established now as the top of the card guy. Yeah. Doing his thing by that point. Got it. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, yeah, so that was, and then some other matches that came through, like the, and I did watch on another, like, well, I don't know if I said this, the 2013 Royal Rumble as well, mm-hmm. which was, that was actually pretty good too. 2007 was, eh, I thought as well, but the 2013 one was pretty good. And then it has, I actually watched that whole pay-per-view, believe it or not. So, um, the, the where it has the match between Rock and CM Punk for a championship. I think the other thing is that this uh, that Royal Rumble only has six matches. It's not a lot there. Obviously, the Rumble match is obviously going to be the big thing that's going to take up a good chunk of the time. But yeah, not not great. Yeah. Uh, although so. although uh, although I do enjoy it is wonderful. He, on that card, you had Bobby Lashley, current champion. <laughs> you had Batista for the, uh, competing for the World Heavyweight Championship as the champion, defeating Mister Kennedy. Yeah, we're talking 2007, right? So this is 2007. Yeah. yeah. Ah, Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> interesting. Very so, interesting. You know, I I guess I would have to say watching those matches has probably been the highlight of the week. Really. Look at you. Sounds fair. You know, it's always nice to go back to. It's it's always nice to, you know, go back and watch like a bunch of people you remember. Whereas you know some of the some of them what even the newer like 2013 I was like I don't know a lot of these well, I mean actually I kind I don't know it's funny I knew more people than I thought I would Let's yeah put it that way no, that's fair I think um, that tends to happen though because um, I, I I say that with hockey um, a lot of times uh, I'll have struggled to name more than a handful of guys on the current Dallas Stars team but if you ask me to go talk about the 9899 team I can go deep to a bunch yeah. of deep cuts it's it just depends on how attached you were to the product at the time. Um, and that's usually the way we break it down. But that sounds fair. Anything else then for this week? No, I don't think so. All right. So I got a couple stories here. So let's share a couple. Uh, first one. Uh, let me do this one. Uh, so yesterday, uh, I did my live stream and stuff, and I'll share a little story about that in a second. But before that, um, I took the day off of work. And the reason I did that is because uh, the the family is uh, is getting the floors redone. Okay. So, so they said, hey, can you come by and give us a hand? So uh, this is – they're getting the floors redone at their townhouse. That's correct. So okay. they said, you know, hey, can you give us a hand? We need to move a bunch of this crap. And I said, yeah, fine. Sure, no problem. So I basically gave the afternoon to that task. I took the day off and then chilled for a bit and then walk, came over in the afternoon. And Friday was kind of crummy. It was it cooled down quite a bit and it was raining most of the day and it was raining pretty hard. So I went over and I said, okay, so what do you need? Oh, can you grab this, grab this? So I did all that. Great. Okay. Um, so as I go and do all this, um, most of it's pretty uneventful, whatever, although I was I was amused with how disorganized it was in the sense that I was basically spending chunks of time just sitting on the couch, just chilling, waiting for it. It's like, let me know when you want me to move something because they didn't know where they wanted stuff. Right. I was like, you have to make this decision. Yeah, you're I like, pick I it don't up live here, it. so tell me where what you want, want me to do. Where do you want it? Yeah. yeah. In the garage? You want it downstairs? What, what do you want? So anyway, so we got that done. But then um, on the course of doing that, uh, Roberto was fix uh, was moving stuff in the room and, gra- and taking stuff out of the way for the first time in a long time, and there was something that I had been missing and I had been looking for it and I had had no luck finding it, and then suddenly I saw a box of index cards and I was like, "Where did you get that?" And he goes, "Oh, I was moving some stuff and I saw this. I would give me that." So let me explain. All right. Back in the early two thousands, uh, I had a brief foray where I was doing through the mail autograph requests. 
Nice. I did. I did that back in the early 2000s. When I say early 2000s, I literally mean 2000. Yeah. This is and this is like because this is my life right now. Correct. That I thought you would appreciate the story. So I do appreciate it. Okay, so at the time, what I did was I was playing around with a couple of different ways of doing it, and I had some success, and I'll share with you some of the successes I had. I'll explain. But what I did was I would take the index cards, and I wouldn't just send index cards. I'd write the letter, do the whole thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I used to – I would go into Photoshop and play around with it a little bit and take an image of the player, put the name, and do all that. And then I would uh, basically position it on the card, and my printer could take the index cards, and nice. I had to do a little trial and error. But what I could do is I could position it in such a way so that it would print it in color and right. give me a nice, a nice little index card. And I had received a bunch of those back. And it had been a long time since I'd seen them, but uh, but I was like, I knew I had them, and I knew I had a couple of different players and stuff, and I was like, where the heck is this thing? And I was looking for it and looking for it and looking for it, and I was having no luck finding it. So finally, I was like, okay, let me see what I can do. But then when I saw this box, I was like, wait a minute. I, I crack it open, and I start looking through, and I'm like, yes, yes, because it had the index cards that Sweet, I was looking man. for. And so what I'll do is I'll show you. So this is, uh, again, where I say it's going to be more beneficial if you watch the video, but well, I will show. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so the first one, and a lot. This is very Blue Jays two thousands heavy. If you remember that team, so, so I'll, this uh, is a lot of you writing, like sending stuff and writing the team, right? Like mailing it into Toronto. Correct. Correct. All right. So okay. first one, Homer Bush. Nice. If you remember good old Homer Bush, and so then some of the, the year. So you some have, of these so were doubled up. So for those of you who can't see, basically Carl's got a picture of the like a headshot of of Homer Bush, the name, the year two thousand, and then it came back signed. Yeah, and not nice and clean on an index card. It's nice and clean when you got yeah. it. So some of these were doubled up. So so did you case. put just a question for you? Did you put you put the the year like that you sent them? Yeah, yeah. I had I put the year two thousand a bunch of these. Okay. Just to make my life easy, just so that I would remember. I thought I had the idea in my head. It's like oh maybe I'll do this for a while. We'll see. But I only really did it that one year. Right. Okay. So anyway, all right. Next one. Is this also the year you got Johnny Bauer? Frank Castillo. I've had Johnny Bauer a couple of different times. Okay, nice. Like I said, like I said, when he was still alive, Johnny Bauer would like would walk by randomly in the neighborhood and just sign everything. That's probably true. He, was, he signed their mailbox. He signed the house. That's a nice one. The Frank he Castillo signed people. One. He signed a dog. Not even, not <laughs> even. Yeah, like whatever, whatever happened to be around, he signed it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So Frank Castillo. Okay, here's another one. All right, Jose oh. Cruz Jr. Nice. Jose Cruz like Jr. It. Yep. So that's a good one. Okay, so let me go through here. I'm going to say there's a, I'm, there's a couple I'm saving to the end here. I want to make it a little more interesting. So just sorting through here quickly. Do you have anything you're going to show me that isn't Blue Jays? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I have a few. Because I have some questions after we're done. Of course. Of course. But let's uh, do this. So this is a good one. Raul Montesi. Yes. Good old Very Raul good. And like I said, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these, I doubled them up. So see. Yeah. You So you sent two to get to, is mm-hmm. that? The... Yep. I sent two. So uh, what almost was the all of these. you sending two? Just um, I, I figured I figured if they wanted to keep one, they could, or if they wanted to send back both, they could. I just I, I left it open. Yeah, I just said if you'd like to keep one, by all means. But most of them sent back too, so it was all right. So I had no complaints there. All right, and we'll do one more Blue Jay here, and then I'll do a couple of other ones that have a fun story as well. All right, all right. The piece that is a stance for the Blue Jay portion of it. Nice. Was he a coach at the time? No, no. He in two thousand. He was still playing. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Jeez. Oh, okay. That's yeah. sweet too. He so retired. Now. He had one more year with the Jays, and then one more year he kind of floated around. I think two thousand one, two thousand two, okay. thereabouts. And then, he was... and then he retired. Yeah. But this would have been right at the end of his run with the Jays. Sweet man. Yep. So there you go. So pretty good. Uh, two thousand Jays. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. So now, 
I will do this one, and then I'll finish with a more so a few more surprising ones. This one I was surprised. I, I wasn't. I was surprised when I got it back originally, but then once I was looking through the box, I was like, I wonder if it's still there. Okay, so you ready for this one? Mm-hmm. It's going to be obvious, but at the same time, a little surprising. Mike Medano. Of course. Yes. Nice. So you sent that to Dallas. I did. Yep. All right. And doubled up. Nice. So That's sweet. Go. So pretty good. Pretty good. I know PSA does um, autograph authentication. So I think some of this stuff is definitely going to have to go in at some point once they're reopened for business uh, conventionally. All right. right. So this so next you're one. Gonna, you're thinking you'll sell like the second one of some of them? Oh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about it. I don't think I'm gonna sell any of that stuff. Um, it's mine, as far as I'm concerned. But I would love to have it on the holder with the label and everything. So yeah, cool. for sure. Okay, so this one's good. This one's got doubled up as well. I get, but this one's gonna be a little more surprising. Here we go. But now think 2000, and in 2000, this would have been a little more interesting. Oh yes, that would be Kerry Wood. There from you go. Chicago Cubs fame. Nice clean signatures too. Look yeah. At that. Very nice. Very clean. But that's the whole thing with index cards. I, I, I added the image to make to spice it up a little bit to make it a little more And the more other thing that's nice is like like I, you, I could see on this one, and I didn't comment on the other ones, but you can tell like based on where he signed it, like it's very similar, but you know they're not they're like not auto penned. Correct. So it's one of those things where, like I said, when PSA is open to do the PSA DNA thing, I would love to get a bunch of these authenticated for my purposes. If someone really wants one, I could always make a deal for it and keep one. But like I'm quite happy having a lot of these doubled up. I'm quite happy with that. Now, right. when they do autograph authentication, will they authenticate like anything? Yeah, pretty much. Like, so if you had a hockey stick, you could send that in. And... Well, they they do that with like the uh, JSA, which is their other thing. But for the encapsulation thing, they definitely do postcards, uh, index cards, and stuff like that. Because imagine a celebrity if they signed like an index card or something, or like a yeah. or like an or like an envelope or a letter or something like that. Like they have to have a holder that can accommodate or a check or a canceled check is a good one. Yep. Yeah, stuff like that. So they've, they've definitely got a, a holders that can hold some of that kind of paper items. Yeah. That the idea is just, well, confirm for me the autograph's good, and then you know certify it by putting it in the holder. For sure. Basically. For sure. All right, and I think you'll appreciate this one. So this one does doubled up as well. Here we go. Vladimir Guerrero on Montreal. Vladdy Sr. Nice. Classic. I do appreciate that one. Yes, I thought you would enjoy that one. So those were my regular postcards that were sent in from my foray in through the mail. Sweet, man. Year 2000. That was all year 2000. Pretty successful. That's not bad. I don't not know bad. if you'd have that good success now. Oh, no, absolutely not. That was 21 years ago, my friends. 21 years ago. You know, Times it's, it's, different. it's very – so like so even now, it's very hit or miss, and the mm-hmm. wait for some of the things is like – you know what I mean? Like there's some there's there's one like it's different because you can send stuff through the mail that you pay for, mm-hmm. um, which is not nearly as fun as, you know, sending through the things the mail that you don't. Not just because I'm cheap, but also oh, because mostly. mostly. But yeah. it's also it be, when you don't know whether you're going to get it back, right? You send it and you kind of hope and you don't know and then when you get actually get it in the mail. Yep. Right? And you're like, "Oh, sweet." But then there's always that moment where you're like, "Oh, it came back." And you know where it came from. Mm-hmm. But then you're like before you open it, you're like, did they actually sign it or did they just send it back? Yeah. Right? And then you, you know, you open it and it's like, sweet. So yeah. I've, I've luckily not had that experience, knock on wood yet. Uh, anything that I've gotten back, I've gotten back signed, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is sweet. But because yeah. it's, my thing is, it's nice because it's like for me right now, the ones I'm signing, I'm, I'm basically doing wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have some other ones that I've, like I, I, I did, uh, I had a period where I was just doing sketches. Uh, and you know, I would sketch different things. I did. Like, there's some others I, I might do. So I ha- the ones I've actually sent out have all been wrestling. 
but I have some, I have some hockey ones. I did everybody on the, uh, the rap, the 2019 Raptors championship team. I did mm-hmm. everybody on that roster. Yeah. These are the uh, different categories of things you sent to for autographs, you know, right? right? Uh, no. Yeah. So th- this is what I drew, right? So okay, I'm sa- what I'm saying is the only ones I have out in the, like either back or out in the universe mm-hmm. are wrestling ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, there's still some others, like a couple of the hockey ones. Uh, if I ever get the chance to get them signed or, or find an address for some of these mm-hmm. people, uh, I might do that. But then again, it's like, if it's a retired player, right. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know, like one, one I have that I actually like the way it turned out is Ken Dryden. Okay. Right. So I'd love to get that autographed, but I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, you obviously have to either run into Ken Dryden with the yeah, thing. I was going to say, I was going to, he, he's very hit and miss. Like he has, he has a lot of issues sometimes doing some stuff like, you know, because it'd be sweet, but it's also like how much if you run into the chance we want to pay. Like it's, I kind of wish he was still uh, a member of Parliament because I just send it to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, send it back to me because it doesn't matter. It's free postage mm-hmm. to send it to to MPP, right, or MP. So hey, either send it, sign it, or don't. But at least I know it's coming back, and I don't have to pay for it. Interesting. But uh, yeah, and there's so there's a couple others like that. So we'll see. I might send once the once the Raptors. Uh, start playing in Toronto again, I might send some of those in. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously some of them, that was the early stage when I started drawing them. So some of them turned out obviously better than others. So I don't, I, if I don't like the artwork or I don't like the way it turned out, I'm not going to send it, send it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, with the, with the Bret Hart, did I ever, I showed you the Bret Hart one, didn't I? Yeah, I think so. The Bret Hart yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so two so questions. I, um, when you do get the one signed back, what are you doing with them? Are you putting them in a scrapbook? Are you putting them in because they make those uh, one pay one pocket pages? You can get those and just so put currently, them in. currently they're just in a drawer mm-hmm. along with other autograph non like other through the mail stuff I've gotten, but mm-hmm. where I've just basically sent a letter and said, "Can you send me something?" Mm-hmm. Um, so I have I think I have one celebrity autograph uh, and then some political autographs in that case. Uh, I try that with the bank all the time. Can you send me something? And they don't reply back. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, but I, I have, I only have two of my pieces of artwork coming that have come back. Mm-hmm. But I was like, and there's one of them that I actually really like and I wanted to get, and there's been some opportunities. Uh, I did one of the Million Dollar Man. Okay, so this is in addition to the Jenny McCarthy one you sent out. You're still waiting. Yeah, right. Gotcha. I'm, uh, <laughs> that's an Dave's personal people. favorite. Dave's that's, personal favorite. Speaking of bloodlust. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 an inside joke between the two of us that no one else will ever get, and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, so I was like, oh, I would I wouldn't mind getting this one signed, but like I know, like from what I've been able to find on the internet, he's really hit or miss with whether he actually signs it if you mail mm-hmm. it, because uh, he does a lot of signings, and obviously he wants to get the money for stuff, right? And then I saw he's a million dollar man, yeah. <laughs> and then I saw on Twitter, he's also a Christian minister. Where's the charity at? Th- that goes double. <laughs> so when I said when I said it just gets doubled now. So I was like, okay, um, he put on his Twitter, I don't know, maybe I saw it this week. I don't know how long it's been on there, but he's now doing through his website. He's doing it through the mail, okay, right? But you have to pay for it, right? So I was like, okay, well, how much do you have to pay for it? Like, because I'm not sure if I want to, how much is it? And then it's, but it's by item. So it doesn't matter what you send. Mm-hmm. So if you send one to two items, which this would be obviously one, it's a hundred bucks US. I was like. Meanwhile, the last two times he signed that I've seen like online where you could mail something in, it was like $40 US. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to hold off on this one and we'll see. Hey, listen, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man, Dave. It's true. My price is is uh, is apparently less than $100. Terrible, terrible. 
Now, I do have one more postcard that I want to show. Uh, it was not part of the, sorry, not postcard, uh, index card. It okay. was not part of the original one. It was in the box, though, because it does have a backstory as well, and I will share that. So we'll finish off with this one. Okay, so do you know who this one is? 27. Um, is it a hockey player? It is a hockey player. It almost looks like it says Alex Galchenyuk, but I'm pretty sure that's not what it says. Nope. No, I who... This is Frank Mahovlich. Nice. Frank Mahovlich. The so, big M. What's that? The Big M. The Big M. So Frank Mahovlich, this was from the 2000 All-Star Game. This was the Fan Fest thing, the sports card show attached to it, where there was a lot of that stuff going on. That was, that was like I said, where Johnny Bauer was signing dogs, people, random fixtures. So you, you basically know. you went to the Fan Fest and got it done at the Fan yeah, Fest? Yeah. No, no. But here's the thing. I did go to the Fan Fest. I went to the card show associated to it and all that. Frank Mahovlich was doing an interview on the Fan 590 at their booth at the fa at the Fan Fest there, and I was just walking by, and I saw that he was there, and I was like, okay, that's cool, but I didn't have anything for him to sign, but I had a small stack of these uh, index cards with me, just in case, because uh, it's the All-Star Game, there's a bunch of people floating around the city all over the place, you never know, be prepared, right? Yeah. So I happen to have this, but so I had this, and I had my Sharpie with me. So nice. being the smart person that I am, you know, got to be prepared stuff like that, especially when you're going to a venue like that where stuff like that's sure. going down. For sure. So I waited, sat back, listened to the interview, chilled and waited. And then when he finished up, I, I went over, I was right there near the front. So I grow, so I went and reached over and grabbed and handed him the index card with the Sharpie already put on it. And then he basically, he just came right off, grabbed it, quickly scribbled it, quickly scribbled a signature, handed it back to me with the Sharpie and then fled. <laughs> Fled like he was being chased by the cops. <laughs> Literally, I was the only one who got anything signed at that spot. That's amazing. Yeah, so it made me laugh because as soon as he finished signing it, he handed it back to me quickly and then ran. Oh, it's uh, nice that he, you know, signed it for you. Yes, yes. But that's why I said, like, so I keep, so I kept, I had it in that box. That's why I say I was disappointed that for the longest time I didn't know where the box was. I was like, I had some cool stuff in there. It was, uh, yeah, for so, sure. So I was like, great. So that all came from the one box. Sweet. All I around say, that and, and to answer your question, since we, we did not uh, mm -hmm. get there, uh, what I'm planning, I have a space over here on the wall that doesn't have like a ton of stuff there, mm -hmm. uh, where it has nothing. So I'm thinking that I, I might want to do some kind of like collage together. Like obviously I'm not going to glue them, but I'm going to put them together somehow maybe okay. uh, and, and hang them. That's, that's my thought right now. It depends. I have to see how many, like once I have another round that I, I plan on drawing. Um, that I'd like so you're going to go do, do like a circular thing and then leave a space of honor in the middle for the McCarthy? Is that like you just work it around it and then it all funnels into the, the yeah, centerpiece? No. no. The right centerpiece? now, the centerpiece, I don't know if the centerpiece would probably be. I like the, I only have, two, I have Bret Hart and I have Kane for the wrestlers. Although I do have The Rock, mm -hmm. but it's an auto pen and it says Dwayne Johnson. So mm -hmm. I don't know about that one, but it's a nice picture. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a, I would say there's a few, there's a few others that I know and I have some addresses that I, I just have to draw them, um, that I'm, that I'll probably do. Uh, but I'd like to get some, a certain type of paper. So I'm, I'm think I might wait till like the art supply store opens and then, and then go get it there. Look at you. We'll see. Um, but yeah, but it's fun. It's always nice to know, like there's something out there. So at least, you know, at least there's the possibility when going through the mail that there's something there other than a bill or a flyer or something addressed to the previous owner. You know, look at you. I, I get those all the time. You can have as many as you want. I got a stack. Yeah, anyway, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Oh, bills, bills oh, oh. previous owner, all the above. I think the answer is yes. Everything, right? whatever. 
I think I think they I think they got uh, through the mail signature from Jenny McCarthy back. I, I can forward it here, over to you. Here's here's a bunch of Johnny Bauer autographs I've gotten through the mail over the years that I haven't bothered to open yet. Yeah, no, Johnny Bauer, Jenny McCarthy, everybody, and the Million Dollar Man. What the heck? This is, you said it, it's like here you go. So anyway, uh, what I was going to say. So let me segue from there. Uh, so I, I thought I'd share that one because that was an interesting thing that I found while I was there. Um, but let me segue that off into good old eBay. So I've been having some fun now that uh, he's playing really well. I was selling uh, some Vladimir Guerrero Jr. stuff. And a lot of the stuff yeah. sold super quick, uh, which is really great. But one thing, and this is a tactical error on my part, and um, but I'll share the story with you guys, um, is that I had a pair of autographs that I wanted to put up for sale. And I'm trying not to take 100 pictures because I'm lazy. So I yeah. take a picture of the two of them in the one image, which is actually very standard. It's pretty standard operating procedure, but there's a lot of new people on eBay that are stupid um, and don't know how anything works. And about the third, so I actually, one of them sold yesterday, last night. And then I looked at it and I'm like, mm, let's see. So I wait until the morning and then I go in there and I had received a bunch of questions overnight. And all of them were basically the same thing over and over again, even though I had explicitly stated it. He goes, oh, so is this for the two of them? And I'm sitting there like, first of all, the title lists one card. And secondly, the description says this is for the card in the title only. Which is a standard operating procedure, like for a lot of, uh, because sometimes you don't have time to scan hundreds of cards. You'll scan three or four or five in one image and go, yeah. the one you're getting, the one you're bidding on is the one in the title. This is the one you're getting, period. So anyway, the problem was they're both uh, from the same series. They're two different versions of the same autograph. So I'm sitting there like, oh, for God's sake. So about the third or fourth time I get that. So when the person bought it, and they were from Mississauga, which would have made it nice and easy to ship it. For sure. Um, but I go, okay, let me play this safe. Because what I did is I replied and I said, you know, thanks for your order. I'm going to ship it on Monday. I'm going to, you know, include the tracking and everything. But I said, by the way, since I've been getting questions about this lately, the one you're the one you won, the one you you hit the bite now for, that's for yeah. the bottom card on the image. It's for the it's for the one item. Yeah. So I just I said, you know, best regards, Carlos, blah blah blah, sent. Yeah. An hour later, oh, I thought it was for both. I was like, Of course you did. Of course you thought it was for both, because you all are cheap and you think you're gonna get <laughs> you think you're sneaky, like. Yeah. Uh, no, the description was explicit in what it, it was one card. So anyway, he's like, oh, um, I want to cancel the order. And I'm like, of course you do. Which makes it a waste of my time. But that's the reason why I sent the message. I go, I don't want you to waste my time after I ship the damn thing. I want you to make sure that you you can't claim you're not aware because I will make it blatantly clear through this through the eBay system that it's one card. Yeah. That's all you're getting. You're getting one card. So then it's like, oh, can I cancel the order? I don't really have a choice because eBay will side with the buyer and that stuff. So I was like, okay, there you go. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I will say though, the other, uh, the other Vladimir Guerrero cards that I sold actually went well. Uh, those ones, which was awesome. Nice. And I was able to, and I will share that with you. So we'll do this little section here on some card stuff because I do enjoy my card stuff. Um, but then after this, we'll, we'll chat about a couple of the other items you got on your list. All right. But we, we got a good mileage out of this between the autograph through the mail stories. and Sure. Yeah, pretty good. So there you go. So let me let me share this card, though. This one, so with the eBay proceeds from those Vladimir Guerrero Jr. cards, I bought this item, and I think you'll appreciate it. So here we go. My boy, Juan Soto. Nice. Yes, yes. It is a PSA 9 of the 2020 Panini Prism fireworks insert, but this is the gold Prism version. Now, Dave, 
What is significant about the gold? Do you know? There are less of them made. Yes, yes. Now, specifically, let me fast forward here. Can you see right about here? It says, I think it says 9 of 18. 9 of 10? 9 of 10. 9 of 10. That is correct. Nice. The gold ones are out of 10. And it is a very pretty card, those ones in person. I have a few different ones. That'll be my fourth or fifth Juan Soto gold out of 10. Because nice. I do like my gold Juan Soto. Nicely done. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens long term. Those ones are definitely collection pieces for me. However, however, if the young guy plays well over time and people lose their minds, which they do, do you have any idea what those gold prisms and stuff like that do in the basketball and football world these days? Uh, I don't want to know, actually, because I th it's probably too stupid to comprehend. You can get many million-dollar man autographs for that is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Many million-dollar man autographs. You can have a wall of them. Do they laugh back at me when I look at them? That would totally make it worth it to me. Also, for the record, um, Million Dollar Man, you probably know this, but Million Dollar Man has been on NXT lately. He's like yeah. on, with part of the storyline there. Yeah, with like a guy named Grimes or something. Yeah. The, NXT is garbage, it. man. It, it, it used to be good. There was a time when it was good. Not anymore. Because WWE it feels has... like they're just, they're just desperate. That's, it feels like I'm just watching desperation. No, you are. No, you. What, here's the thing. NXT... As soon as they put NXT on Wednesday, not to compete with AEW, they're totally not competing with AEW, you guys. They were not competing with them. However, they would grab people from the main roster, and then they started to structure the show very much like Raw and SmackDown. I'm like, the thing with NXT is that it was different from Raw and SmackDown. Some yeah. people specifically like the fact it wasn't structured like Raw and SmackDown. Otherwise, it's just a lamer version of a show that is already kind of lame. Yeah, and you want to obviously give uh, give like that. You want to give the talent the opportunity, right? This is a. I mean, the venue for people to be up and coming, to get out there, to get known, to have some matches, you know, and and the way they structured in terms of the people they get feedback through, and and like legends being involved to give feedback, like Shawn Michaels, because that was part of his biography the other day, mm -hmm. right? That's all great. I think that's one for the business. That's a great thing. But they, it feels like they're just really botching it. It just literally, it's like, hmm, what's on? You know, it might as well instead of saying NXT, it might as well just say desperation. No, you know? it it one hundred percent is, and that's been kind of the ongoing problem with it. So anyway, the important the thing is like Ted DiBiase, who's clearly just shilling for it right now, yeah. has more charisma than the guy he's making fun. Of. So it's like, wow. Million Dollar Man, you are, are still – this is the, the one thing that's also amazing about it. The amount of mileage he's gotten out of that laugh alone is quite impressive. He's so good at it, though. I know. It's down to the science. Like, it doesn't matter how much he ages. He's like, can you still do the cackle? Oh, I can do the cackle. That's all he needs, right? You know? Yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's literally just like, let's uh, have uh, Ted DiBiase come in laugh and then go away in a limo, right? And then what are you talking about at the end of the show? You're talking about Ted DiBiase. You're not talking about the wrestlers you should be talking about. Oh, come on, Dave. Minor details. Minor. I know. If you can't, if you can't milk the 1980s for all it's worth, Dave, then what good are you? Oh, all right. True. So that, I want to talk a little bit more. I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah. So here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. So I want to segue into wrestling, but let me do one more card story because I think you'll get Please. a kick out of this one. Let's I, do one I, more card story. And a, we'll segue I, I pretty much get a kick out of all the card stories Oh, at this point. I, this, this is a good one. This is a good All right. One. All right. So here we go. First, I'm going to show you a card, and then I will explain context. Context. All right. All right. This is a Wayne Gretzky PSA 10 
Opichi, rookie card. All right. Why am I showing this to you? Because it sold for a record value. Correct. $3.75 million. Nice. Indeed. Almost tripling the previous high that was set a couple months ago. Now, here's a question for that because I find this interesting because I know someone who has a non-graded Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Yes. Well, does, does something like this, will it bring up the value of any grade? It already has. So what's an, what's an ungraded uh, card go for now? Well, an ungraded one is, is depends entirely on condition. But I can tell you here. Look, let me give you. Let me give I'm you. Just, I'm just trying to. Sorry, I, I should say that. What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get a perspective on this, right? So if you go from the ungraded, yeah. right, in let's say decent condition, up yeah. to you know, obviously we know the PSA 10 is now 3.75 million. Mm-hmm. So what's the low end of that card, and, and sort of what's like a maybe like a PSA five or six? I'm gonna answer the question. All right. I'm going. Let, let me uh, let me educate the masses if I can. So let's do that. Um, really quickly, so just to give context, let me give a quick point. I used to have two of them. Um, I sold them some years ago now um, because for me, I really, uh, I'll say this. I made a video on my, on my sports car channel uh, mm-hmm. specifically about this record sale. And uh, I, I do it in my traditional way where I, as, uh, and I'll reintroduce my, my beloved character, already a very popular in-demand character. And now we're going to have to start promoting this podcast like crazy because we've got to let the people know about Lord Salt and all his wonderful sayings. Yes, we do. But as my persona, Lord Salt, or in other words, me being me normally, um, basically, I explained about this Gretzky card. I explained about this record sale. I gave I, I, I spent about 20 minutes talking about it and explaining it. And I also explained how it's ridiculously overrated, one of the most overrated, quote unquote, iconic sports cards ever. And it is not iconic in the least. And it's also completely abundant. There are plenty of them out there. Everybody and their brother has them out there. If Dave, it, like that Oprah, like Oprah, I will share with you that if Dave looks under his chair right now, there are 14 Gray Gretzky OPG rookies right now. Sweet. If you check. And you can trade them all in for one Jenny McCarthy autograph. Live the dream, Dave. Never. The dream. Never. Anyway, so the point is they are available in abundance. However, however, with that said, let's put on the education piece now. Um, the Gretzky has appreciated over time as those prices have started to creep up and the sports car market to heat up in general. The Gretzky rookie is not immune to this. What that meant, though, is that as the high end started to go up in value, the rising tide lifted all boats. So I sold a couple of copies that I had for at the time was the going rate. So I sold one that was a KSA 4, and KSA is a low-end uh, third-party grader. To okay. be honest, it get, means you get maybe a couple of bucks more than raw. So you're not really benefiting from the um, from the full capability if you're right. going to do it. So first of all, my recommendation is if anybody has one, you don't have to go to PSA because PSA is super backed up and right now it costs you a lot of money to send it in and all that good stuff. SGC is not as good. However, they can turn it around for you a lot quicker and they're at least legitimate. So I would recommend getting it with a third-party grader, period, end of story, because you'll get more money. Period, okay. end of story. Regardless of what level it's at, low end, high end, middle end, whatever. So that would be my number one recommendation. However, to give you context, when I sold my KSA 4, which got slightly more than what a raw copy would have got at the time, a couple of years ago now, Mm -hmm. I I got about $400 US, $450 maybe, yeah, $400, $450, which wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. Today, a PSA 1 that is at least moderately centered, and it is a one, and it's not going to look that good, 
will take you somewhere in the $900 to $1,000 to $1,100 US range. Wow. For a one. A one. That's crazy. So that's why I want to make sure that I'm very clear on this. Even at the low end, it has been dragged up by the increasing value of the super high end. Right. And now, to give you contrast, and you can try in your mind to position the one that you're familiar with, the one that you're talking about, with this example, I'll show you a PSA 1 that sold for about 850 so that you can get comparison. All right. So here. This is a crummy, beaten down, uh, kind of uh, basically um, faded piece of shit. Okay. That'll be 850 US. Wow. So there. So now, in your mind, you can compare it to the one that you're familiar with and adjust yourself accordingly. Now, as you go up the scale, it quickly shifts upward. It depends, like I said, it will 100% depend. My number one recommendation, if you have one, get it graded, and then you can sell it however you're gonna sell it. But as you go up the scale, it goes quickly. A PSA 2 is in the 13, 1400 range. I just knocked another 30% onto it. Yeah. Just by mumping it at one level. We go to a 3, and I'm just giving you guys comparables as we speak right now. Um, a three will go with 16, 1700, depending. A four, uh, that'll take you, um, that one's not a good example. Let me give you a good one. Four. Yeah, two grand. Again, US dollars. Yeah. Uh, and a five, and we'll stop at five just because there's no point in going on. It'll keep escalating from there. Yeah, uh, four grand. Okay. So, it is 100% worth it to take the little bit of extra effort and get a thing graded. Absolutely it is. Because the return on it. So even the one that I had, if I had gone to PSA, probably would have come back at three. So it probably would have been in that 2,000 to 3,000 range. Nice. So at the time I sold it, I sold it for what was a fair price at the time for the market. Obviously, I would get more now. Do I regret selling it? Not really, honestly, because I, I, just, I do think it's an overrated card. But if you're a Gretzky fan... If you're a big hockey fan and you feel like you need to have this iconic card in your collection, I used to have two. <laughs> so, yeah. And now I have zero and I really don't care. Yeah. But if you are in the market, you're going to have to pay through the teeth a little bit now. A raw copy, you will get a fraction, not only because of the grading thing, but also because somebody who's buying has to then factor in, okay, it looks decent, but it, has there been any, any shenanigans? Is there is it a trimmed card? Is there any issues with that I can't see through the right. image here? Right. So putting it in that stupid little holder at least gives the person a little added security, and they're willing to pay a premium for that security. Yeah, for sure. Even if it's quote-unquote low condition, they just want to know it's real. They want yeah. to know it's not messed with. That's it. Sure. So that gives you a little bit of a range and context just so you understand it is very much worthwhile to do that extra step because the value immediately becomes apparent. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and now and now when you're talking about the Gretzkys, you're talking real money. Real money. Yeah, so absolutely. I wouldn't play around with that. I would take I would be like, "Nope." My first piece of advice to that person would be like, "Look, I understand it's a pain to do this stuff, to learn how to do it. Learn how to fill out a piece of pa learn how to fill out a sheet, learn how to send that shit in, get it get it graded, get it returned, pay whatever you need to pay, and then you can do eBay, you can do whatever. It becomes immediately more liquid simply yeah. by putting it in that piece of plastic. That's my recommendation. All right, then. There's a, my education piece on the cards for today. Thank you for that, Carlos. Yes. So that'll be good. So let's transition now All right. over to the world of professional wrestling. Once again, we've AKA touched on it. 
carny bullshit. Yeah, we've touched on a little bit. Okay, so here's my question. And I mean that in an endearing way because I am sure. a fan. Yeah. So here's my question. Number one. All right. Do you want to talk about the uh, documentaries of the Ultimate Warrior? I did watch both. Or do you want to watch talk about the Go Home Show of AEW? That one, my thoughts are a little bit quicker. I can give you a quick synopsis. We can do both. Why do? Because I have not seen the Go Home Show, so you can, if you want to quickly go on that. But I have seen sure. both on the Warrior, so sure. let's let's do that. Okay. That so Go Home Show. Yeah. Okay. So for the most part, is a Go Home Show is pretty light. Uh, not really too much happened. I will say that having watched, um, and I won't go over each thing that happened. A lot of them were matches that it's like really have no consequence. Uh, it was just, they were just biding their time. They did do a nice promo with the inner circle with Chris Jericho setting up their stadium stampede match at the pay-per-view. If you're not familiar with it, go check out AEW all elite wrestling and go look up what's there. Um, I think it'll be okay. I do feel, I do agree with some of the pundits that do say that it's like, you just did though a cage match and now you're doing the stadium stampede match, which the first one was a bit comedy. So you're going to do it more seriously this time, I'm sure. I'm confident in that. And that's fine. That's okay. But it's like, it almost feels like you did it in reverse. What is this stadium stampede match? So basically, it's they're inside of the Jaguar Stadium. And okay. they're going to put a ring in the middle of the football field. Okay. And then they're, it's basically a, uh, f I guess, false count anywhere effectively. Well, I'm just trying to think here. I'm trying to remember if the original, if the fall had to be in the ring or not. I think it might have had to be in the ring, but regardless, basically they can have a brawl everywhere outside. There's no countouts. All the participants can basically fight each other anywhere in the arena. It's basically you're gonna have like okay, 20, so you're gonna have a massive brawl in the Jaguar Stadium, all over the all over the place where they can go into the they can go into the concessions, they can go over to the uh, you know the boxes, they can hit each other with anything that's not state that's not nailed down. Right. They they can attack the mascot that might have happened in the first version of Stadium Stampede. Anything Chris Jericho might have given the Judas effect to the Jaguar. Anything can occur. Like I said, they were very more comedy oriented in the first one. I suspect he won't focus his attention on attacking the Jaguar this time. He might just focus on attacking the other team. Right. But the point is that um, it's fine for what it is. It's a fun. It's a fun little match. But normally you're sequencing. You know, professional wrestling 101. Normally you escalate the stakes. And the most dangerous looking match, the one with filled with blood, like blood and guts. Would would A be the last one or the most usually recent, the, right? usually the and end B, of the feud. B on a pay-per-view. Yes. Usually you end the feud with the more bloody match on a pay-per-view, as opposed to have the bloody match on TV and then have Stadium Stampede as the now it's the blow-off match. You can still yeah. do some really interesting stuff. Like there's no doubt. But it's like I feel like you did this order in reverse. You, you, you had to go the other way. Yeah. So and so it'll be interesting, but I but I kept saying I feel like they did this out of sequence, and that might have been. It, it, it does feel that way. Yeah. So that's fine. Uh, so they did continue to set that up, which is fine. They did a little. Um, they they brought back Eric Bischoff to uh, as a nice little toss in with uh, his history with Jericho and those guys, and that's good. Uh, so that's fine. And and Bischoff is good. He still does his thing, which is cool. They had a crowd uh, back at Daly's place, like almost a full crowd. So you could definitely feel the atmosphere was very good. Uh, Miro, formerly Rusev of WWE, um, looking good. He's looking real good. Uh, he had himself a nice little squash match so he could show off uh, in front of a crowd. And uh, it's funny, though. He's a bad guy. And the crowd was like, they want to cheer him so badly <laughs> because they remember him. And they're like, hey, congratulations. You got a title and, you know, you're doing your thing and you look like a monster. Like back in the like at the beginning of his WWE run. Right. Because people who may not remember um, – Rusev, Miro, when he was U.S. champion the first time, 
in WWE, he was being built as this monster, you know, bad guy. And then he had a WrestleMania match with John Cena where he went out in a tank. <laughs> That's amazing. Like the moment, everything was set up where logic would dictate. We got this guy here that we've built up. He's got a WrestleMania match with John Cena, high profile. He gets to enter in a tank. This dude needs to win. <laughs> like of all this, mo like you, you put a lot of work. He looks amazing. He looks phenomenal. He's beaten everybody. Yeah. And he's coming in in a tank. This dude should win. So John Cena wins, and of let's course. move on. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like no. Yeah. <laughs> this is the wrong answer. Wrong answer. But uh, and then it was just downhill from there. <laughs> like he had other title runs and stuff, and a bunch of stupid gimmicks and whatever. So hopefully AEW is a reset for the guy. He can do his thing. He looks like a monster again. They're playing him correctly at the moment. This is so that's good. good. That's good. I think it'll be an interesting match, and it's him against Lance Archer, who's kind of another beastly big guy. So it's going to be like um, you know a hoss fight, as JR might say. It's just these two big dudes colliding into each other, a big old-fashioned brawl of two big guys fighting. That'll be fun. Um, and the other one that I'll highlight, there's other matches, of course, but the other one that I'll highlight is going to be the... Um, the women's match, uh, the women's title match. Right. So you're going to have uh, Hikaru Shida, who's the champion, uh, who got give, who got given a new title that's better than the old women's title. Although it looks very similar. Like I was like, okay, I'm glad you made it look bigger, because because the old one looked like a toy. Okay. And the reason why AEW did, I don't. The AEW sometimes is weird. They'll do some weird stuff because their world championship looks great. The women's championship, it's not that it looks bad, but it literally looked like a toy. It looked like I think I could put it around my wrist as a bracelet. It was so small. Um, now, the problem is that the inaugural champion, Riho, is I think three foot one and, and like five pounds. I think George might be bigger than Riho. Okay. Like it, she's so tiny, which for her proportionally, it made sense. But then I'm like, you realize if you get a normal sized woman, it looks like a toy. Yeah. Th that's actually not good. <laughs> And Hikaru Shida, who is the current champion, has been champion for over a year, which is very good. She was basically the pandemic champion. And I want to make a quick point and a historical footnote on this that I think will be helpful. But the way this is all cycling, again, we never know what they're going to decide, but the logic dictates that her challenger, Britt Baker, mm -hmm. is going to become the new champion because yes. her character work has been phenomenal. She's doing a great job. She looks like a million bucks. She looks like the one that you want to prom promote and push. Yeah, that, it definitely feels that that's the way we're going here. Yeah, but her character work is phenomenal. On the microphone, she can get done what she needs to get done. She looks the part, sounds the part. It it, it works. And it, the time is right with a crowd to have her. Because I promise, I know she's a bad guy, but the crowd will cheer when she wins. Yeah. Because right now, she is riding on all cylinders. Everything's working great. But I do want to take a moment to acknowledge that Hikaru Shida did an excellent job being the pandemic champion with no crowds because... She did the best she could with what they had. They could have done yeah. a better job lining up her opponents and making it better. Right. But I, I'm very happy that she got a good long run of over a year as champion. But I think, and this is where I'm going to bring the historical context in. I believe that if AEW does this correctly, it is my belief that what they should do, stay the course, proceed. Britt Baker should be your champion coming out of this pay-per-view. That is the right. correct answer. That is what you should do. However... I think there is an excellent long-term story here to be told where if the crowd does cheer Britt Baker, even though she's the bad guy, I think you can plant the seed. This is what I think they should do. Okay. I think you plant the seed 
so that Hikaru, she, at some point you put the camera in her face after she loses, the disappointment, whatever, and she see, here's the crowd cheering. You plant the seed for her to become a bad guy down the road. Right. And when she next gets her title reign the next time, the just she should get another title reign. She should be allowed to have it. This current storyline and the pandemic champion thing should play into it because the story writes itself. Again, wrestling is stories. You got to tell a story. Yep. But the story is this. I was put in the most unfortunate position. I carried this division as champion for a year. But then when we get a crowd back, you cheer the other one. When I've done all this and worked so hard to keep this division relevant during this whole time period, you never respected me as champion, even though I held it for over a year. Yeah. The story is, is it makes sense. You work so hard, you do all this, you're, you're, you're at the peak of your powers and then you lose and people cheer the other person beating you, even though they're the quote unquote bad guy. It's a very logical story to tell. And then when she gets to be champion again with a crowd and everything, then she gets to take full advantage of it. Yeah. There's, there's a wonderful story to be told that you could revisit maybe in a year or so. Yeah. And I think, and I would do that. I would keep it in the back burner, but lay some of the seeds today. So that when you do the video package, all of a sudden somebody connects the dots. They're like, wait a minute. That makes total sense. Yeah. She didn't get the respect that she probably should have considering how difficult it was to maintain this at the time. Yeah, for sure. So I, there's that, a good story. To me that, make, that all makes sense. It's long-term storytelling though. You're going to have to lay the groundwork now, lay, put in the seeds, and then we'll revisit it in 12 months. So yeah. that her second title reign will probably be more successful than her first just because they'll have crowds and they'll be able to do the full thing. Not just partial, but a full thing. And this is where you could take advantage of it, the fact that she's in the company, and you could almost do the Bob Backlund thing, but with less of a time gap. Right. So here's her historical context. The Bob Backlund story sort of played out this way, but it took much longer. He was champion for six years. He was the transitional champion when that when that company went from the regional-ish territory to becoming the national where Hulk Hogan took Hulkamania and all that into the Bob Backlund was the last major champion before Hulk Hogan. Right. The Iron Sheik was that transitional champion in the middle. Yep. For a brief, for a cup of coffee there. Yeah. But Bob Backlund held the title for six years. That's the classic style like Bruno San Martino and Pedro Morales and those guys who held champion for years and years and years. Hogan's first title reign was four years. So you've got Bob Backlund for six years, the Iron Sheik for a couple of months, Hogan for four years. There's over a decade where you've got three total champions with a transitional guy in the middle. Yeah. When Bob Backlund came back was after the Hogan runs and, the, and that stuff. When he came back, his story was, you threw in the towel. I never gave in. I never lost the championship. Right. The story made sense. And because of that, he snapped and lost his mind. <laughs> I would have continued to play it out, though. When he did win the championship, I would have had him have it for a couple months. I've mentioned this before. Well, you don't have to wait years and years and years. But you could tell the same story with Sheeta, where she, her disappointment at being like, why did you not appreciate me when I had this title for all this time? Yeah. And you immediately discarded me for the next person at the first opportunity. What the hell? That's a very logical story. People can get that. Like, it actually makes perfect sense from a, from a, human, uh, from a human story. Yeah, for sure. For sure it does. Well, there you go. I just wrote. I just wrote your next cool. two years of women of women's. Done. I just gave you a perfect thing to look at. I thought this was going to be short, man. Hey, it was a good story to be told. What do you want? Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. All right. Ultimate Warrior thing. Both documentaries were shit. I'll explain why, but you go first. No, but you know what? <laughs> you know what? Despite the fact that neither satisfied my uh, my desire for bloodlust, 
I kind of agree with you, right? Mm-hmm. Because I felt, and this is the thing, I, I enjoyed both documentaries. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I liked it because I learned some things I didn't learn, and that's always good. And the storytelling was pretty good. Uh, you know, like Dark Side of the Ring, they're, it's formulaic now, right? They have their mm-hmm. format in terms of how they tell the story, who they have on a lot of the time. Like, you know, Jim Cornette is pretty much on every episode now. You know, it's always narrated by uh, Chris Jericho, who does a fantastic job, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But I felt here's here's my here's my complaint for both of them. I felt there's so much they left unsaid. Mm-hmm. Right now, I like. I think you need to if you're gonna if you're interested in. I think you need to watch both to get a fuller picture because the A and E one gives has his second wife right mm-hmm. and his family and his daughters telling so much of the story and part of it. The thing that I hated though about it was in the trailers. It was always his one daughter saying, "You know, you have to tell the whole story. You have to let people know the truth," kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Some I don't know what the exact words are. I'm paraphrasing. Something like that, yeah, yeah. Right, and then you watch it, and you're like, "What? What truth that we didn't already know came out of this?" Mm-hmm. Right, like, okay. The, the thing is, here's the thing. I I'm relatively convinced to the to a large degree that he was a good dad to those girls. Right? I, I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the other thing is, I think is another complicated legacy story, right? Because here's a guy who was by all accounts, never that great of a wrestler, but had enough charisma. Like, I, I think Jim Cornette's um, take on it in the second one, where basically he didn't really have that much talent, but he had charisma, he looked like a million bucks, and he had the most talented promoter in the business who put him over. Basically, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think that's, because, you know, but it didn't last long. Um, and that And that worked, but, you know, he had his inner demons and his own things that kind of brought himself down uh in in a way but then there's also this you know secondary career where he's like he's this motivational speaker i'm using air quotes here because i don't think there's anything motivational about anything he said but he's you know where he's in one clip in one documentary it's like well my wife got me into these ideas and made me realize i thought like this and the other clip she's like well he's trying to act like rush limbaugh now here's Mm -hmm. the thing i don't think those things are necessarily mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. right i think it's totally viable that his wife made him realize that he actually had conservative viewpoints. And then he's like, I'm going to roll with this for whatever you roll with it and try and be more controversial. But then he just becomes like spewing hate, mm-hmm. right. And homophobic vitriol. And in some posts, racist vitriol, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? And I, and they never really, and then one, like really the, the, the best they really got into it was his wife being like, yeah, he realized it was a mistake for that one speech. Okay, well, what about all the stuff he posted on his blog? What about all his other speeches he gave? What about all, you know what I mean? There's a lot there. And I just felt like, again, the dark side of the ring thing for this episode might have just be called the inside story because it, was no, it wasn't really dark. And I'm not saying I need bloodlust. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is, is, is there's, there's not that, it's kind of like, I feel like a lot of this was kind of already out there. And, and it never, I mean, other than us in the, a&E documentary seeing more about his family and his family life and hearing them tell the story I don't know what you really gained if you were kind of in the know already mm-hmm. that's that's sort of where I take it so I, I'm left at the end being kind of disappointed because sure did I learn some stuff yes but at the end of the day I'm not really sure I, I still feel like there's so much there's something missing from the puzzle that I'm not getting uh, and I feel kind of almost cheated out of that mm-hmm. so that's that's where i'm at but yeah were they both great documentaries no uh there have been better biographies 
on A&E. Uh, the Shawn Michaels one was better. Mm-hmm. The the Stone Cold Steve Austin one was better. And I thought both of those got into a little more of the controversy uh, than this one. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of Darks. I feel like Dark Sethering may be stretched because they're going, four, I think, 14 episodes this season, where the other ones have been like 10, 6. I think 6 I maybe the first season, 10 the second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. But even even like the Brian Pillman one was a two-part. It was better than this mm-hmm. one. And maybe it's because they should have gone two and they only had one. I don't know. But I, 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 I felt there was a lot that left was left to be desired. Yeah. So I think playing into that idea there that you mentioned at the end, I think the the weakness of the the A&E one was basically just whitewashing a lot of stuff. Even when they tried to touch on it, they touched on it as lightly as they possibly could, like yeah. literally touched. Like For sure. They're like, we can't completely ignore this because we'll be immediately called to the carpet for this. But sure. like, what's the least that we can mention here? What's the yeah. lightest of light touches? And I think I think that had a lot to do with the fact that like that's how it was going to have to be told if they were going to get the family's involvement. I Correct. feel that you know, yeah, that's that's what they had with that yeah. one. Yeah, and they basically milked the same clips of the of the one daughter doing like uh, dancing as a ballerina, basically as much as possible. They're like, how many times yeah. can we just show the same and clip the other over one, and like, over kickboxing. again? Kickboxing. Yeah, it's like let's just use a bunch of these clips. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? I don't care, but. Yeah, sure. You can introduce at the beginning to introduce us to that one daughter. Sure. But otherwise, okay, we know we know who she is. We know she loves your dad. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, like, it's like good for okay. you. I don't care. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's you know. I, I mean, if you're you know, as a documentary film and as a subject, okay, we get that you've introduced it, but there's really nowhere else you can go with that. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, though, we right, they remember. tried anyway. But you got to remember the Ultimate Warrior. Um, mo- his career wasn't very long and the height of his career wasn't very long and almost everything he did professionally that we know him for that is the reason he even has a biography or documentary done about him the daughters weren't born yet your yes, entire life true. is irrelevant to his side of the story from his professional side you want to talk about his his life post wrestling Sh- sure then you are 100% part of that story 100% yeah, and obviously the re- yeah, as you said, the reason we're watching this is because he was a professional wrestler, yeah, not and- because he was a conservative speaker or a bodybuilder before he became a wrestler. Yeah, and everything he did in during that time period, the daughters weren't born yet. Yeah, and like, the second and wife I, was barely around for that. The one thing that I honestly get from this, and and I feel bad because I don't obviously you don't want to speak ill of the dead, um, it, you know, but it's like, does this man really deserve to be a hall of famer? Well, the answer is no. Right. Like I don't. Yeah, because I think you're the longevity piece is missing there. Right. Like, was he big for a while? Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. Right. Yeah. But then again, I don't know. I have some issues with the, the, the fact that there's, you know, three different wrestling pro wrestling Hall of Fames. Mm-hmm. And it's like, which is the real one? And then it's like, well, we're the WWE Hall of Fame. It's like, well, what about all the people who aren't in WWE? It's like you're trying to be the pro wrestling Hall of Fame. But then there's actually, uh, you know, a pro wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Fall. I think it's Wichita Falls in Texas. Right. And then there's the some other thing in, I think, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, I don't know, like, I, which one has more sway, like, which one is more legit? I don't know. But yeah, I just kind of felt like it was just like a whole bunch of, it just felt like for me, because I remembered the Ultimate Warrior and I don't, I was like, did I like the Ultimate Warrior? I think I did because I had the action figure of the Ultimate Warrior. Right. But now looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, this gimmick is kind of, eh. Well, that was that was the joke is that I had is that uh, the 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 tax on Jim Duggan thinks like he doesn't have a gimmick, but it's it's still kind of funny. 
um, he is this dude that walks over the two by four and says, ho. That's pretty much it. That's and he's very patriotic. He's very super patriotic. And we're also not sure how those two things connect to each other. No, (laughs) No. nobody knows. Nobody knows. But like, it's a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. So good. The Ultimate Warrior is a dude who has really tight tassels and likes to yell a lot and is incoherent. Don't forget the holding on to the ropes and yeah, yeah. You know, and had really high energy at the beginning of his matches. Yeah, and then he'd run out of gas immediately because he's not actually great on cardio. Um, The point is that like. I made the joke that I said, like, intensity is kind of the shtick that he that he became famous for. But it's like Macho Man Randy Savage had intensity, but he had a point. Like when he's saying the thing, he's like, I'm going to get this match over. I'm going to get this opponent into such a position where I'm going to say how I'm better than they are. But I'm also going to say that they're really great, but I'm better. But they're really great, but I'm better. So that's why I'm going to beat them. That's why I'm going to destroy them or do yeah. whatever. Um, so I'm trying to get you into the building to buy the match. I'm trying to get you to buy tickets, do whatever. Everything I'm saying has a purpose, but I'm bringing lots of intensity. And when we get to the ring, I will then get it done in there too. Yeah. Because that's what the Macho Man did. And Um, so do you feel like that the only reason he's in the WWE, like Vince wanted him in the WWE Hall of Fame is, is, you know, for the, like the redemption story aspect? Well, I think that's part of it. But and, here's, think... and here's the other thing about that. Sorry. Uh, and then I, I, I think this is the last point I really have. Mm-hmm. But but here's the thing. And I'm not trying to justify anybody's comments. Okay. But Ultimate Warrior has said some said some really horrific things, which to my knowledge, he has never taken back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hulk Hogan has said some really horrific things for which he has had multiple apologized multiple times, but never really a good apology. Right. Like, I don't I don't think Hulk Hogan actually understands the the racist stuff he said on film. I don't actually un- think he understands why it's that bad. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was suspended from the WDE. He was suspended from the Hall of Fame, kind of, sort of. Right. But then Ultimate Warrior, they knew about that stuff ahead of time. And were like, please come into the Hall of Fame. Well, I don't think, um, to be honest, I don't think I don't remember the timeline on it with the Gawker thing, with the fit, with the tape and everything. But I think Hogan's already in the Hall of Fame by then. He was already in the Hall of Fame, but then they yeah, kind of they no, kind what, of what they did is they suspended him from appearing and stuff. But like the Hall of Fame is this fictional fantasy land that just exists in this well, man's imagination. Yeah, but I, yeah, that's true too. But also, but he's back in the Hall, but he's in the Hall of Fame twice now because they put in NWO. Oh, agreed. But what I'm trying to get at is like he was never removed from anything. Like he, no, he wasn't. A, he wasn't know, put on shows. Like, no, but he was also taken off the website and, and stuff like that. Like, I believe sure. if you went during that period of time, if you went uh, to the Hall of Fame list yeah, yeah. on the website, I do not believe he was there. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, it's one of you those mean, things. There, obviously, I know me asking for consistency from the WWE. I, I was about to say. Is, is was not. Say. Yeah, I get that. I get that, Carlos. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, really? Like, it's like, you're okay if, you know, it's almost like the WWE's being like, we're cool with homophobia, but we're not cool with racism. And it's like, you should not be cool with either of those things. At all. Right. And it's also like, dude, like one of your best people and one of your best, uh, like, you know, confidants, whatever Vince is, is Pat Patterson. Mm-hmm. Right. Pat Patterson is gay. I mean, he's dead, but he's, so he's, you know what I mean? Like he's he both was, simultaneously. <laughs> he was, and he was open about it. Like he yeah. it was, it wasn't a secret. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you have this part of your company. It's a big deal in your company, but it's like, no, but let's bring this like homophobe into the hall of fame. It's like, mm-hmm. Come on, man. This event, everybody. Okay, so real quick. Um, there's so many areas I could go into. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, 
I know. I, I'm almost spoiled for choice. I'm almost spoiled like, for this, choice. Like I feel like some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, we'll just not talk about tonight, which is fine yeah, because yeah, this yeah. this has so much mileage out of it. But oh, it's, it's good. So good. So I'm good. enjoying this conversation. Yeah. All right. So now uh, here's I got to say some stuff. This is very important. Very right. important. Allow me to to give the context here once again, as I do. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, the the inconsistency of it is basically a Vince McMahon hallmark. Well, it's not so much a redemption story. I think his favorite part about all of this stuff is that he loves the idea that it doesn't matter how bad a relationship is with it. He always loves pretending to be the magnanimous guy who brings everybody back. Okay. Because he kept bringing back the Ultimate Warrior even during his original run. That's true. So like you, he think was all, you think it's actually like it's it's bullshit and insincere? Everything Vince McMahon does is bullshit and insincere. Everything. His life is bullshit and insincere. Everything. Um, it's just the way that the McMahons are designed. It's just the way they're built at this stage. Um, the thing is, <clears throat> when it came to the Warrior, the A&E one stuck to the family-friendly, because the family was involved, version of whitewashing a lot of events, barely touching on a couple little things. The A&E one, because it ran half the length, like started to touch on it, actually got a little further, and then at least they included a couple of the comments on the screen at least mm -hmm. acknowledge them in there, but then like still left so much to be desired. Allow me, if I may, to quote the aforementioned Ultimate Warrior Esquire, the the individual. This is, first, I, I, say I will read you a do we, quote. Do we need to put a trigger warning on right now, like about what, what you're about to read? Maybe, probably. Um, you may need to do that. But anyway, so this is, this is not about homophobia. It isn't about uh, racism. It's, it's very specifically pointed at one individual, so uh, okay. so it's focused on a specific thing. So is him it, trashing a wrestler? Uh, yeah, to a certain degree. Um, right. Because one of his feuds early on in his career was with Bobby Heenan. Now, Bobby mm -hmm. Heenan and he had a very contentious relationship, um, which was referenced a little bit in the uh, in the vice. Because of the, the breaking his neck. Yeah, the neck thing. Um, but also, Bobby Heenan trashed him like crazy on the self-destruction of Baltimore because Bobby Heenan hates the guy. Well, yeah. he hated the guy. Obviously, he's dead too. But um, he hated the guy. Super hated him, um, and justifiably so to, to to a lot of degrees. To be perfectly blunt. Um, so anyway, um, I'll read you the quote, and then I'll give a little context in there. But I'll, you'll kind of get it from the quote. But I'll explain quickly. So this is Ultimate Warrior speaking on Bobby Heenan. Yeah. So as for you, Bobby Heenan, uh, it is just too difficult to keep a straight face talking about the pure two-faced bag of shit you are and have always been in brackets. What, with you also actually wearing one as a piece of body jewelry, I don't remember that part, but whatever, uh, you are dying, diseased on the inside. By the way, Bobby Heenan had cancer. Um, diseased on the inside, and no more time is left to get back any of the integrity that matters the most on death's bed. Imagine what it would be like laying there, you're taking in your last breaths. Ironic, given his last speech. Uh, knowing that you hoard yourself out your whole life and had to, in your final years, be faced with emptying your own personal shit bag, affirming you, the true valley of which you... This is like a ridiculous one on sentence, too. Uh, what you achieved in your life. Not even Vince could come up with a better finish than this. Karma is just a beautiful thing to behold. Ultimate Warrior Esquire. Yeah. So Not exactly nice. No, the Ultimate Warrior is a piece of shit. I don't care how much his kids like him. I don't care how much his wife takes up for him. He's a piece of shit. He always was a piece of shit. You can be a piece of shit and be nice to your family. These two, these two things are possible. You can you, Because literally almost no one else has anything good to say about the Ultimate Warrior. Almost everybody else in life is like, Shane yeah, McMahon did. Shane McMahon did. Wonderful. I'm also like, how did they become friends? But <laughs> may I also remind everybody that the McMahon family, including Shane McMahon, who was around, also made that self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. True. Um, and also, the also thing in order, I would think that you know, there's got to be some. I don't know how much creative control 
WWE has on these docs, but they're obviously sanctioned by WWE, uh, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they, I think all of them have had Vince in them, like a current Vince, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, interview yeah. as opposed to a archive clip. Yeah, the A and E stuff is very much W, and and I want to touch on beyond the documentaries. I'll quickly touch on the the you know the A and E shows with the hidden treasures, whatever. Yes, that thing. I'll quickly touch on, and that one will be quick because I've got one right. thought. I, want I do to enjoy get. those though. Yeah, but all that stuff is WWE sanctioned. Totally, sure. all the A and E involvement is one hundred percent because they're working together on a lot of on a show and on this yeah. other stuff. And it's and also like I mean, there is a history of WWE trying to bury documentaries that they don't like. Yeah, but right? they're working so together. Like 100%. the the um wrestling with shadows hitman heart when yeah it was all good and then montreal screwdrop happened and then they tried to renege on a whole bunch of the part of the deal that they made with yeah. for that film yeah but in this case it's 100 fully sanctioned cooperation footage what do you need yeah yeah so that's that uh so bottom line though is like both left between t- combining the two you get at least a little bit of a sense from the first wife from the second wife a little bit of information some interviews there's some stuff that's all over the place um Jake Roberts' story about the Ultimate Warrior in the uh, Dark Side one. Um, the timeline doesn't exactly match, but professional wrestlers are notorious for ch- mixing up timelines and changing them, however the story works. You're talking, um, about, you're talking about the championship? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the timing on it, like they did work together. They did have that, and I think it was truncated and shortened. But you got to remember the Warrior won uh, the title at WrestleMania six, which was 1990. And then... Um, the issue with the being held up and getting fired was in SummerSlam 91. Right. So it's like two different time periods. Mm-hmm. They're about a year mm-hmm. apart. And like I said, Jake the Snake did work with him as part of his title run because I think coming off the Undertaker thing, I think then it was Jake the Snake Roberts, but it was truncated. And like I said, there's elements of truth in what he says, but some of it is like the timeline's a little bit off, like... I can't say what you were promised or not promised. Jake was also had a drug problem at the time. He might not exactly remember the sequencing exactly, but there is elements of truth in stuff he's talking about. Just the timing doesn't exactly match. Yeah. So always keep, always keep a wrestler interview with a grain of salt because as you well know, WrestleMania three, Hulk Hogan lifted Andre the giant who was 45 feet tall and 15 billion pounds in front of 12 trillion people at the Pontiac Silverdome. True story. It's true. it's true story. True story. And those numbers will go up next week, just in case any of you were curious. Those numbers will all go up next week. <laughs> we'll add at least one to all of them. But anyway, so that's that's the way that that stuff will always work. It's always the way it will work. Okay. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, we're good to the documentary piece? I think so, yeah. Okay, Hidden Treasures. Okay, I don't mind the show. I don't mind the show. But like everything else WWE is bullshit. Like, uh, the concept of them going and getting these things and doing these things, it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. But I'm like, dude, Pawn Stars is more legit than this crap. You are not giving, you are not selling him your prize whatever item for five grand. The uh, Half of Undertaker's shit is worth like 50 grand. If that's legit, then these guys need to get like a tax receipt or something as a gift. Because they're giving WWE a gift. Because WWE makes how much money? Please. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. It's like, oh, well, we can offer you five grand. Really? Really? Maybe you can fire a few more people and get some more money. Oh, too soon, too soon. But then they did. Yeah, exactly. They keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. WWE is not hard up for cash. They make plenty of money. Can't you do another Saudi show and get some blood money and pay me some real cash? Is she bastard? That is that is a dark side of the ring waiting to happen. Oh, it will. But the point is, like, let's put it this way: if I take if I take that show at face value and I go, so you're literally you you so all your wrestlers 
have like long-standing lifelong injuries that will inhibit their their uh, you know their um, quality of life forever and then when you want some of their shit you give them five grand you cheap bastard <laughs> Yeah, how, how about you know you treat them like the actual employees that they are, not independent contractors? Well, it's not even that. Like, I'm, I'm forget about like that's Health all benefits. true. But like, how about how about keep it basic? How about actually offering the market value? Like, if you actually want to buy the item, but will it offer them actual market? If they want to give it to you because they have like Sergeant Slaughter probably has like fifty of those hats. Like in the in the thing, and yeah. yeah, and he probably likes the idea of having it as part of a display. For but the record, like the I still have a Sergeant Slaughter GI Joe nice but i think uh, but i think a bunch of like the undertaker shit is like legitimately expensive shit if you put that on the open market and just sold it somebody would pay like six figures for a bunch of that crap yeah probably yeah so it's like okay look you're getting you're getting front but of he the gave line it to them. he gave it to them i understand but that's because the undertaker's made plenty of money but there's a bunch of other of the old guys who d who did not make as much money in their heyday it's like why don't you pay them the real value and even like the Jerry Lawler, right his 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 yeah. stuff uh yeah his money yeah. apparently yeah his stuff is actually worth some value and even the guy who was the collector uh, like i'm sure he just enjoyed being on the show but it's like okay, oh, you don't yeah to... i mean it's like we're gonna find this stuff and it's like you know you're not gonna show us really anything that you can't find yeah right i mean i think there was one item um one particular i can't remember which it was right that they couldn't find right but really it's like you have to make the show out of it so it's just gonna be like hey we're gonna find this object and not find it no you're gonna find it right they are they already found it and then they made the show and who knows how much of what you actually see on film is contrived, right? I imagine 95% of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, sometimes it's so ham-fisted in the way they do it. It's like, look, this could be a fun show if you didn't go over the top. At least, why not? here's the thing. You're not really changing. This money's not really changing hands half the time. I don't believe so. I don't believe that. Um, why don't you put numbers that make sense? Mm. Like, I know for a fact some of this shit, if I put it up for auction, I could put it on eBay and it would make more money than your quote-unquote offering. Don't lie to me. Like, some of that's bullshit. But I mean, the the idea of, you know, getting like AJ Francis and whatever WWE superstar from the past come into your house because you have some kind of piece of memorabilia that they that's kind of cool, right? I, I'm okay with the premise, but I'm saying like, be don't insult my intelligence during the show is what Fair I'm trying is all is all I'm asking is do not insult my intelligence. I'm hoping that if they get a season two, maybe they'll go after some real grail, some things that may not exist. Um, a VHS tape showing a good Ultimate Warrior match that may not exist. <laughs> we may have to search the archive. We may have to like, can, can we find it? Is it possible? Could it have been evidence that he was ever a professional wrestler? Maybe that doesn't exist. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, there's some definitely some things that that, that would be kind of cool, right? I mean, yeah. I guess the one that the title belt, the was it the TV championship, the Booker T's title belt. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That they couldn't, they they could not find. No, but but like I said, like I'll give I'll give a couple of ideas, guys. Uh, VHS tape showing Ultimate Warrior actually wrestling well. That's a holy grail that you got to look for. Um, Hulk, um, a a written affidavit where Hulk Hogan tells the truth. You that that's a holy grail that may not exist. Uh, about anything, by the way, it could be about what he had for breakfast. I'll accept just about anything you want. <laughs> if he can tell the truth about it, and you've got as a written affidavit that he signed, I'd be impressed. <laughs> Show me that. Um, how about um. How about Vince McMahon not screwing somebody over? That show me some evidence of that. <laughs> Footage, audio, anything that I'd be impressed. Um, how about a charitable contribution that isn't like a backhanded way of just promote PR for WWE? Show me that. <laughs> That's a holy grail that may not exist. And um, a good episode of Raw post 2010. Show me some footage of that. <laughs> like these things may not exist, Dave. None of these things may exist. Fair enough. Fair enough. But these are the real holy grails. This is what you must seek in season two.
of hidden treasures or whatever. That's How many more? I think there was there one more episode or I don't remember. Next, I, 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 I binge watched a couple for Jake the Snake's bag that Damien was held in. Yeah, I bin, I binge watched a couple of them uh, just to get the sense of it. That's what that's what made me kind of annoyed. They're okay. Like I said, the concept's good. But yeah, I was like, I, hear you. I just like the story, like where they kind of do the background. I like, I like the the, I like the premise of the show. I hear what you're saying, though. I think that's a fair <laughs> criticism. Yeah. I don't think that's going to change, though. No, no, absolutely not. No, not with WB. Uh, but it also gave me a backhanded way of making fun of WB with a bunch of hidden yeah. treasures. So that's like, it's like AW hidden treasures. It's like uh, I got you've been around for like two years. Hey, listen. It is what it is. The but crash yeah. mat that Chris Jericho landed on up from the top of the cage. It's like, oh my god, I have a real steel guardrail. Uh, that's made out of foam. Shut up. <laughs> you know, but uh, that that it is. It, I like the idea of like that because it. You know what I mean? I like it because it delves into the history of of the business. Yeah, that's I, why I, I like the show. I actually think the Sergeant Slaughter one is the one I enjoyed the most because a lot of Sergeant Slaughter's best stuff, um, the boot camp match and all that, was like pre WWE becoming like household. Yeah. So, like, I gave him props for creating this character that was able to uh, get, you know, get him a lot of notoriety pre. Because uh, most people uh, who came in later on, once it really started taking off the company, um, only really remember him for his biggest run, which was when he was the Iraqi sympathizer and then eventually switched on that. But that was his one run with the title. That was his one, like, big, big storyline yeah. uh, where he was able to do it. He, that's how they did got he it off the, the title from the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it all ties in, Dave. It all ties in together. It's a beautiful thing, Dave. It's a beautiful thing. So there you go. So that couple of things, couple of things there uh, that were kind of interesting, and a um, couple of questionable things, a couple of questionable things. But um, yeah, it is. It is what it is. Um, I understand, but it is what it is. But there you go. A little bit of Ultimate Warrior, a little bit of the A and E's thing, and um, I did watch a little bit of that. And I'll give you guys one more quick recommendation. Uh, something that may be fun for you uh, because I do do my YouTube rabbit holes. I was familiar with this individual anyway. Please tell I, me I, it's the it's the Pittsburgh Pirates video. No, no, that's just a general thing. I, I, and by the way, now the YouTube algorithm is showing me a bunch of different people's take on it. But my, the one I guess sent you was my favorite. It, that uh, is, is brilliant. It yeah, is brilliant. It's, it's really well. Maybe you can put the link in the show notes or something. I'll see if I can find it, yeah. So um, the thing is, uh, there's a guy who has done a lot of um, – music reviews because he's like a pop uh pop music fan okay. uh he's a guy named todd in the shadows todd right. in the shadows um and he does very much a um he does like a musical critique of a lot of these things but a lot of it is just edited in kind of a funny way and literally the gimmick is that todd in the shadows is a dude who never shows his face because he's literally wearing a hoodie and he's kind of in the shadows but he's in front of a piano and at the beginning of every episode he'll play like the song on the piano a little bit yeah. But then do like an analysis or a critique, and there have been a lot of funny episodes where I enjoyed uh, where I enjoyed it. I enjoyed him trying to analyze LMFAO because he does pop music and and he hates LMFAO. And at one point during one of them, um, I think it's sexy and I know it. I yeah. don't know if you remember that. I do. Well, he he does it, and he's so angry, <laughs> like it's a shtick, like he's a character. But he's so angry with this that he even has to review it. Is that at one point he puts on his glasses and like overanalyzes it to the point that he sounds like he's at Masterpiece Theater doing an analysis and he compares him to Right Said Fred. Ooh. It's these little things that are fun. It's these little I, things that, that, are fun. that is uh that is pretty fun actually. Yeah. So as I say, like if you're if it's tongue in cheek and you know exactly what you're doing and you can put together a little video, stuff like that I always enjoy. And some some of these songs and things like and he early on in his career, because he's been doing this for almost ten years, I think, or eight, seven or eight years. Early on in his career, uh, when Lady Gaga was coming up, he was so frustrated with Lady Gaga. 
it was it was hilariously funny just listening to some of the old takes where he was like so frustrated and like i said in character with lady gaga and a lot of that her pop contributions to the pop movie scene and i was like yep mm -hmm. sounds about right mm -hmm. good stuff so there you go todd in the shadows todd in the shadow there's my recommendation for for this week all right so there's that all right we're i think we're mostly good uh was there anything you wanted to touch on in the end or are we pretty much rolling can we since we're on it and let's 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 do it let's go uh the latest installment which is now the second installment of dave made a list carlos makes shit up yes by the way this is already the greatest episode of all time i agree like, there's been some good shit i demand so, turnbull that this this had better be broadcasted from the heavens i, I this agree this is a great fucking this episode it's fantastic buddy all right so there's a couple of directions i could go here based on what's going on and based on what we've talked about both there's two lists that play into this yep. but i'm gonna go with sports mount rushmore's okay. professional wrestling <laughs> professional wrestling okay all right since we're there we might as well we'll do this list so okay I, what's the criteria real quick this is important so, there's a lot of criteria my, my when i made my list okay. i looked at people who are I, like some kind of longevity okay right and also have made a like kind of a, an indelible mark on the business. Okay. Right. And so, I only and I only took because because this could change. I only took in ring performers. Okay. Right? So so, in, so in no announcers. You know, not and not Vince. Okay. Fine. So so just so I'm clear, so because like I said, I make I'll make up my list. Like is, yep. is the whole point of the segment. Of course. But so longevity. Um, are we talking like 10 years at minimum or I, I didn't like that? give a minimum year. Okay. Um, so at least uh, let's put it this way. Even if I wanted to include the ultimate word to me, his run is so short that I would disqualify him no matter what. Correct. I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Okay, fine. So that's fine. Uh, I'm good with that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's almost everyone like this, on this list has ref wrestled uh, in multiple decades. Well, if I go with that criteria, the ultimate word never wrestled. Uh, that's that's different. <laughs> and there's and there's there's other people I thought about, and 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 th you know what I mean? Because I think in some ways, um, you can make an argument for Bret Hart to be on this list for for a variety of reasons. He and is Bret, not. And Bret Hart would. He would absolutely. Yeah. He would. He, he would is, make an he would make an argument I mean, for all four slots to be. And he would also probably say, you know, use his Besser is Besser was Besser ever will be as well. Correct. Yes. In, in part of that mm. but uh, he is not on this list uh so my list for a variety of reasons um so and this is in no particular order but yeah. hulk hogan okay because not necessarily for his in-ring ability but for the charisma the stage presence the hulkamania and the you know sort of taking wrestling out of wrestling if you will you know and being in rocky having the film career even though it wasn't a great film career mm. uh you know you know that kind of stuff Right, uh, so well, I you're not a big Bionic Commando fan. Come on, man. I, no, but I am. I am a huge fan of the two uh, movies he made where he played Mike McBride, where it was like Assault on Death Mountain and Assault on Death Island or something that were basically just made for TV tie-ins. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. WCW. What was the second one? What was the second one? Uh, assault on like Death Island or something. Back they, to the bloodlust. It all it fun. all comes back to the, see. I knew you'd slip up. Just you know, I've seen both of them, and because uh, my dad actually uh, was in BC when he was filming the one, and actually ran into him. Mm -hmm. So somewhere there's a picture of my dad and Hulk Hogan without a mustache, because he didn't wear a mustache for those movies, because yeah. he wanted his character to be different from Hulk Hogan. Obviously, which is you know why he was Terry Hulk Hogan instead of Terry Balea. Why don't, if you want to be don't want to be as soon as, as Hulk Hogan, just go by your real name in the movie. But hey, mm -hmm. uh, so that's number one. 
Um, and and then I thought about um, so Rick, uh, my number two, Rick Flair, because mm-hmm. I think again there's a transcendence there, but he's been around so much of wrestling in a variety of different companies as well. That that's why Ric Flair is on the list. And your and your ultimate the uh, fantasy desire to own the shoes. That that too, right? Just a thought uh, to throw that in there. And then uh, number three, I have the Undertaker, mm-hmm. okay. who I think you can make an argument is the greatest wrestler of all time. Uh, right, but also because the thing that I like about Undertaker and why he's on this list, so for me is the longevity, but also the fact that it wasn't the same. There was always something that he was able to change about the character, you know, throughout his career before he, I'm put again, retired. Cause who never knows if they're actually really retired, right. In wrestling. Right. Uh, right. But, but the, the, you know, cause you had, you had obviously the original undertaker and that, and then you had, you know, the American badass. Then you had like back to the dead man, even though he was always the dead man, but you know, hey, hey, do, do not downplay ministry of darkness undertaker because that was gold. Yeah. Right. You had that gold. Then you had now you, you ended with the sort of holy trinity, right? The mixture of American badass, Undertaker, and Mark Calloway into a character, which is sure. what you saw in his last match. So that's why he's on the list. And then I, then I debated about the last spot, um, and I kind of went back and forth between The Rock, but uh, I I did I left him off because I think his mark is made more outside of wrestling. Like it almost was like a vehicle. Like I, I love the rock and I, I love him wrestling, but it's almost like the wrestling took him to where he is now. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was a vehicle to get there. Uh, so I put on stone cold mm-hmm. because I think again, he transcended it. And it was that whole like stone cold. What the, when you think of the attitude era, mm-hmm. stone cold is what you think of. Right. Obviously there are other wrestlers and, and, and other people that made that too, but, but stone cold was there for me. And there's mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people that could be on the list that aren't, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, but those are the four that I have on my list. Right. What say you, Carlos? A lot of it is going to be overlap, just because. Um, because if we're talking longevity, and we're, because what you really did, just so we're clear, what you basically did is you talked about cultural significance, and it's very difficult for anybody pre WWF going national that can touch that. Yeah, like if we go along, uh, so I'll include. So I'll mention somebody that is like an honorable mention, but he will never qualify because of the era that he wrestled in and the style and the place. Mm-hmm. Jerry Lawler had a super long career, like in the Memphis territory as a promoter doing all kinds. And a lot of people went through that territory. He had a feud with Macho Man Randy Savage in that territory. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of things. He also had a feud with Tonka. <laughs> uh, and a lot because that was during the WB, uh, WBF's um, McMahon invasion of Memphis, where he, where he was the prototype Mr. McMahon, the early version of Mr. McMahon that, uh, that is available on YouTube. If you look up Mick Memphis, uh, a very early prototype where he was a Bond villain, Vince McMahon, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, Very entertaining, but, uh, very over the top, very camp. Um, so from that perspective, like he could be, except nationally, he was never that guy. Yeah. Nationally, he, he never achieved that level. But I I think you could, I, I mean, that's the thing you could make an argument for though. Yeah, but I think you have to be in. I have to be available nationally because, like, historical significance. I'll give you another honorable mention. Bruno San Martino was champion for five thousand years. Yep. Like he was, and he sold out Madison Square Garden over and over and over yep. and over. And, and I, over. I think you know, in that regard too, you could also put on somebody like uh, Gorgeous George for sure. for the for the gimmick, right? Yeah. And really, and really be one of the yeah. first people to really do that. Yeah, they're iconic names in the sport, but the thing is that. 
when you're talking about resonance, because now you're adding those other components. Think about the guys you talked about. Hogan was in movies. Um, you know, so now let me get to the Mount Rushmore now. Now I'll get into it. So okay. Hogan's got to be on it. Like I'm pretty much, you have to. So for a lot of the reasons you outlined, uh, because he was a crossover star, became a national brand, that was a big part of it. So he's got to be a dude like that. And of course, personally, the reason why I would include Hogan is because he brought into the lexicon the important combination of, you know, brother, daddy, daddy, brother, brother, daddy, daddy, brother, brother, daddy, brother. Um, how, many, how many episodes ago was that if people want to reference it? I don't remember, but <laughs> it was so good. That promo was gold. Wow. Chef's kiss. Uh, was that, that was an AWA promo, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. No, wait, wait, wait. It was Memphis. It was in Memphis? Yes, okay. because he had his brother, his brother, the other boulder. Brutus yes. the Barber Beefcake. Brother, brother, daddy, daddy, brother, daddy, brother. With the Mr. Southern Bass. squeeze. With the Southern, the southern squeeze. squeeze. Like, if, if, if for no other reason, that's why he's got to be in the... See, I have the good reason for putting him on Mount Rushmore. That promo alone puts this go. man into that All Mount Rushmore. Right. All right. Alone. All right, second one. Ric Flair, for a lot of the reasons you outlined, because he did... He was able to get into that more national thing. WCW and the NWA at that later portion in the 80s and beyond was at least able to get somewhat national. So he would be, he was big in Chicago. He was big in the Carolinas. He he at least had a swath. He wasn't like uh, Jerry Lawler was like Memphis, Memphis, Memphis mostly. Yeah. Um, Ric Flair went through Memphis. Ric Flair went through the Chicago area, the Chicago territory. He had he was in the uh, an event called the Chi Town Rumble, which was famous, where he he had big matches with Ricky Steamboat, a lot of the greats. He had some good feuds with Macho Man Randy Savage. Like he he actually wrestled almost every big name you can think of at one point or another. So eventually, as time went on, Ric Flair eventually got to lock horns with a lot of the other big characters of his eras. Right. So from that perspective, uh, really good. Very, very impressive because he, but he also got to build the longevity of his career. And then as he went along, he also became a cultural icon in a similar way to Hogan, but different. So whereas Hogan became a cultural icon was the, as the elevated. And of course, you know, bring, you know, Mr. Bass to this day has daddy, brother, brother, daddy, you know, ringing in his ears to this day. Mm -hmm. um, Ric Flair became the poster child of the rap game of all things, because they reference Ric Flair in rap. That's true. So he like transcended, of all people, if you look at Ric Flair and think, you know, when I look at that man, I think of rap. No, you don't, no. but yet. But you but should. Yet, but yet, exactly. alligator but yet. shoes, alligator yep. shoes. Absolutely. Like, so that's why I say like, Ric Flair, deservedly, he, he had the long career, he had the legendary career, he had all those things. But then actually, as time has gone on, time has been appreciative of rick flair he's actually gained momentum yes like if, I, if at the time of his initial early retirements he, he we had stopped there eh, maybe it's a borderline case but as time has gone on actually time has been kind to rick flair's legacy absolutely it's gotten even better if anything else so it's like now i think he's firmly implanted in that mount rushmore for those reasons so that's why I'm, I'm even though I'm I'm replicating some of the ones in there, I'm adding a little extra context yeah, for let's absolutely. let's build a let's build the case. Uh for me, a third component. I want Macho Man Randy Savage on there. Okay. Because he was an icon. He was the complete package as a wrestler. And he was snapping to a slim gym. So he got into that element of it. Like he I wanted was. to know, right? And that's something that too, like especially if you say anybody who grew up with that, you say that phrase. Correct. Right? 
He he is associated. He is the one you reference. Plus, the, the man not the Kool Aid Man, but not you know. Yeah, he's like, and for God's sake, the man who made his clothes made pimp clothes. Now you look at Mushroom Man and go, yes, Mushroom Man kept his pimp hand strong. It's true. You know, you know. And then on top of that, also one other thing, his legacy over time. He is one of the most imitated voices. You talk about professional wrestling and talk about, hey, can you do an impression? Macho Man is a voice that's very everybody, distinctive. I think everybody, everybody who watched Macho Man has that impression, whether it's yeah. any good or not. Yes. Right? You have it. I have. Neither of yeah. us are going to do it right now. No, absolutely not. But, but you know what? You have it, and you can hear it in your head right now. Yeah. If you know Macho Man, you can, when you say the yeah. voice, boom. Yes. But it's you, very you distinctive. It. Very distinctive. It is very. It you can't mistake in it for something else. It is to me. That that means you are that means you are amongst the pantheon of greats. Yeah. Because your legacy goes beyond your specific body of work, and people think about these other elements. It's like actually, there's more. There's there's more that we can add to it above and beyond what you did. Yeah. Um. So that is a worthy spot. The last spot is the trickiest because there's a couple of different folks that I can make pitches for. A couple of different folks. I'll say. The last honorable mention I'll give is to Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and to The Rock for a lot of the reasons you outlined. I'm going to leave him off because Stone Cold is a very logical choice, and he did transcend. He 100% transcended into popular culture. One issue that I have with it is that his apex was short. It was because of injury mostly, not his own fault, not his fault. And he's been able to continue, and obviously he's still a big name. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin still means something. Um, but his apex Unfortunately, if he had been able to start his uh, his growth and build a little bit earlier, maybe even at the tail end of his run with WCW, I feel like I would give it to him because then, hey, you, you succeeded here a little bit more than you did. He did have right. some success. And then you carried it over to that ECW for a cup of coffee there and then took it to WBF slash WWE and then obviously took it to new heights. His apex is the best. And yeah. if somebody says they want him on there, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight with you. But I did want to have a little variety because it feels too WWE heavy. Ric Flair helps with that. But there's another guy that I would associate that had a very long career, a very successful career, and he's not always thought of in that way. But I want to I want to pitch for him on this one. All right. Sting. Yeah. I, I was I, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, OK, he's talking about Sting. Yeah, because he has done very well. To maintain himself, and you want to talk about reinvention, he he's, went from he's Surfer wrestling Sting on Sundays, didn't he? Yeah, he is. He went from Surfer Sting to Crow Sting, mm -hmm. and you think, well, oh, you're just ripping off a movie. He has had a very long run as Crow Sting, yeah, and he's been able to make that work I think, for him. I think it's almost like Crow Crow Sting is more recognizable than the actual Crow. He is now, yeah. But what originally put him on the map? And also, sorry, yeah, out out of makeup, he rocks a soul patch like nobody else. I think that's fair. I think it's fair. But what I will say is that you have to think about also where he came from. He started off as part of the Blade Runners with the aforementioned piece of shit warrior. I mean, ultimate <laughs> work. Um, and to get from there to being an icon, it's embarrassing that he has to kind of be associated in the early part of his career to someone who literally doesn't know anything about professional wrestling. Yeah. Like, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> By comparison, Sting built his craft actually became a fairly good professional wrestler who has had incredible longevity, who has won multiple titles and done all these things. He was NWA champion, WCW champion, did all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Missed out on some opportunities that could have elevated him to that next tier and made it more obvious. But even still, his overarching body of work, because people don't realize his stuff with AEW is good, 
considering his age, considering the t- the length of time he's already had and everything, anything he does in AEW that's positive is a good thing and adds to his legacy and enhances it. So he's still, on, out of the guys we're talking about, he's still on TV in 2021 doing stuff with wrestling. Yeah. He's still the one on TV doing stuff right now mm-hmm. in professional wrestling. And he will be on a wrestling pay-per-view in 2021. I can't say that about any of the other guys we mentioned. Now, and for the record, he is 62. Yeah. But the thing is, he's still capable. He understands what to do. So he's not pushing himself too far. He knows what he can do. He knows what his limitations are. Like he had a major injury there that put him out for a while. So it's like he's not going to do anything reckless. He understands what he needs to do to facilitate the story, to work with the story. And most of his work right now is working with the young guy, Darby Allen, to help him to continue to do his thing. So he is being beneficial to this portion of the product. So that means he had a successful run in WCW slash NWA, a successful, I won't say a successful run in WWE because it wasn't, that was garbage. Although his entrance and everything looked cool, but it's like, it was bad. It was badly botched. The AW run has been good so far. And here's the thing that's forgotten by a lot of people. Impact slash TNA. When he came in, this was post WCW. He did a lot of good things with that company. They never were able to fully capitalize on it, but he, they did a lot of good things and had a bunch of good matches with them. A completely forgotten part of his career, but he had years there where he did some fun stuff. Yeah. He did a very good job. But considering the entire latter portion of his career was basically ripping off a movie that most people don't remember, nobody thinks about The Crow. He's actually yeah. surpassed The Crow. He was ripping off The Crow, and now he's surpassed The Crow. That's true. Which is not exactly the easiest thing to do, right? No. But kudos to him for that. So, like, considering what we're thinking about, is like, actually, that's pretty good. So, to me, like, Sting is almost the underrated person to somehow sneak in the back door and be like, so are you aware he's still around in 2021? He wrestled Ric Flair. He wrestled Hogan. And he wrestled the Macho Man. He wrestled yeah. all of those guys. All of those guys. Pretty good. <laughs> no, you, you, that's that's sort of undeniable. Yeah. So it's one of those things. I think Sting is the sneaky guy who got in kind of the back door and somehow made it on there. But I think he is worthy. Now, if we're talking about Apexes, well, then I put Austin back in. Rock comes back in contention. A bunch of other guys who had this amazing Apex. No knock on those guys. They're all right there. I'm very happy to have them all right on the cusp. But if we're saying Mount Rushmore and I threw four, I love Sting's longevity with the quality work he is doing in 2021 which is only enhancing and putting a sprinkle on top of the whole thing. Yeah. So there you go. That's my answer. All right. Fair enough. I think that's it. You make an excellent case for Sting. Indeed. All right. And with that, Carlos, I think we'll call it an episode. Indeed. So alas, Dave uh, Bloodless was not fully satiated tonight, so he will probably slink into the darkness and take a human and, life. And Allegedly. not even, because as as we are, are talking here, okay, hmm. Montreal scored two goals on the power play. And are up to nothing. So I can't, I don't know. You know what I mean? You can't win for trying, Carlos, I tell you. Listen, that doesn't mean you can't slink into the darkness, allegedly, and take a human life. Do what you need to do, Dave. Because where you are, people are expendable anyway. I don't care. Do what you need to do. Oh, my. Do what you need to do. But anyway, so that'll be it for us. Next episode is episode 99. We are getting dangerously close to cake. Episode 100. Cake. And yet, even at this advanced stage, like Sting, our current le- our current level might be our finest work yet. I think so. This was a damn good episode. I know. 
Tell the people. You people who see, tell people. Dave, tell people. Find people and then tell people. I will. Tell them before you kill them. Tell them first. Make them download it. And that's then, probably a good that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Do it in that order. We're telling them, Se- not the killing them. Our theme earlier was sequencing. The sequencing is important. Don't, don't kill and then tell because then not not good. It's like it's like the stadium stampede after Blood and Guts. No, no, this is out of order. You did this all wrong. Ah, foolishness. Anyway, so that'll be it for us on this episode. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. You get the best effect doing it on YouTube. Trust me. You do get the best effect. That's true. But if you must, it will be in audio format as well. So there you go. That'll be it for us. We will come back with more random bullshit that we made up on the spot, as is our way. And that is it for this episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. We will catch you on the next one.